Good afternoon, everyone. Today's Bible reading, as already mentioned, will be from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. So if you want to follow, you can open your Bibles. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law, and it is not an adulteress, and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say, then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was, had it not been for the law. For I have not have known what covet coveting really was, if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity offered by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then... The law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Happy New Year for those who I didn't see personally. Now, how, how has your first week of the New Year been? How has it been? Uh, does it feel like a promising, you know, fresh start? Or, or not really? Or not really? Uh, on the morning of January the 1st, Madara and I, we were sitting in our bed uh, with a cup of coffee and we were looking around us and we said to each other, our bedroom is in such a mess and we don't see a way out of it. And um, the same thing happened this morning and we almost got into argument because Madara was was really ready for the deep cleaner. I said, it's a Sunday morning. Come on, we can't do this. Anyways, uh, not a too promising start of the year for us. Uh, um, I mean, it would be great to keep um, our room tidy and junk free this year. We'll be really happy. Is there a secret to a higher tidy life that we have discovered? Perhaps maybe it's a YouTube channel that kind of helps us to keep things organized. Now, how to de-junk your life forever. That would be nice. If you find WhatsApp me the link, please, you know, even tonight or something, um, I would be really thankful. Now, what about you? What about you as you think about your start of the 2024? 
Um, I'm sure most of you guys have your rooms really in order and kind of uh, sorted. But how about uh, how about our Christian life? How about our Christian life? I bet we would love to have a nice, fresh start. Um, our desire is to de-sin our life, right? Is there a secret to a higher, sin-free life? You know, there are Christians who will say, surely, surely it is, um, you know, the discipline, it is the rules. If we obey the commandments of God, our life will be as, you know, as God has intended it to be. Others will say, others will say, well, no, surely it must be grace. If we believe in Jesus, we don't need all these rules and commandments. It's all about grace. So what is it going to be? In our desire to de-sin our life in 2024, is it going to be the law or is it going to be grace? Well, the obvious answer is grace, isn't it? Because of what Jesus has done, Paul said, if you remember in chapter 6, verse 14, sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you're under grace. But if you remember, guys, this answer, this answer has gotten Paul in a lot of trouble. In chapter 6 and 7, the Jewish Christians were basically hearing Paul say that God-given law for the good of his people is a bad thing. That's what the Jewish Christians were hearing. And so, so um, they regarded grace to be immoral. And do you remember what they said? Just quickly, a quick recap. They said, Paul, are you not saying that grace actually promotes sin? 6 uh, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And they said in, in 6 verse 15, you know, um, Paul, your grace permits sin. As Paul said, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? So, Paul, your grace is moral. It promotes sin and it permits sin. And here in our chapter, did you spot in verse 7, the Jewish Christian would say, Paul, your grace is immoral because it passes the law into sin. It makes something good to be bad. Verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? So do you see how the choice between the law and grace is not so straightforward after all? Paul has found a way to stand on grace while also to uphold the law. So that's going to be our challenge this morning. Stand on grace but uphold the law. Is that even possible? So here is the main kind of one big sentence for today, guys. The law is good, but it is good to be released from the law. The law is good, but it is good to be released from the law. So the first, it is good to be released from the law. Now hear me, if you are a Christian, 
you are not under the law. You're not under the law. You know, some might say, well, I was never under the law. You know, I'm not a Jew. I was never under the law. True, we have not been under the Mosaic law in the same way that Israel was. Yet we saw, even in Romans, how God had written the requirements of the law on the hearts of all the people. That's why Paul could say earlier that our conscience bears witness to us being under the law. Our conscience. Conscience gives us a way that we know God's law. You know, if we're honest, then our answer to Santa's question, have you been good this year, well, the past year, should have been no. No, I haven't been. And Paul confirmed it in chapter 3. No one is righteous, not even one. No one seeks. No, no one. We already saw that the law can't save. Because through the law, we become conscious of our sin. We saw that in back in chapter 3. Of course, God is not Santa. We don't get either stick or carrot. God's punishment is real and eternal. That is why the righteousness of God, apart from the law, was such good news. God makes people right with him through faith. But what now? What now? These are the things that we kind of already heard last year. But what now? Now that we are made right with God, we surely need to be under the authority of the law to be moral people, says the Jewish Christian. And I remember I said already, Paul dropped this bomb and then he just left it. And now we're coming back to kind of trying to solve this. So the Jewish Christians said, well, now that we're saved, we surely need to be under law for there to be an order. That's what we observe around the traffic laws, the kind of tax laws, you know, kind of criminal law. After all, we need it. So here is the tension. Paul says, no, you don't need to be under the law for morality because you are no longer under the law, but under grace. Now that we are alive with Christ, Paul wants us to continue viewing ourselves as dead to the old realm of the flesh, or our old self. Well, look, let's start with chapter 7 and look with me at verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. When you believed in Jesus, you died with him. You're you're now dead, to sin, Paul said. And because that is true, the law is no longer the judge in your life. And Paul helps us understand this by pointing to the marriage law back in the days. Look at verse 2. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him, so that if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. 
But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she remarries another man. So we will not look at kind of all the details about kind of marriage and remarriage and second marriage. This is not really kind of the subject of this, this passage. Paul really kind of mentions and illustrates, takes the marriage law to make one simple point, and here it is. The marriage law regarding the husband's authority over the wife it, it, it is only as long as that husband lives. Okay, His authority is only as long as he lives. If the husband dies, his wife, she is free to remarry. Now, Paul goes, um, you know, and applies this to the life of the believer. In verse 4, if you're a Christian, you are happily married even if you are single. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. You know, the analogy doesn't work perfectly, of course. Normally, the one who dies can't remarry because he's dead, right? And so Paul, Paul's analogy takes into account the resurrection from the dead, of course, with Christ. But the application of that analogy is very clear. It's clear. Christians are no longer married to the law. We have died to it. Now risen with Christ, we can get married to another, to Christ, to Jesus. Every Christian is happily married, and it is truly good news. Well, because only our new marriage, you see, to Christ will bear fruit for God. Only. We have died um, to the law. And now risen with Christ, we're married to Jesus. Our old marriage to the law was a dysfunctional one. The law was a rubbish husband. We bore fruit for death. Now, why was old, uh, our old marriage dysfunctional? Look at verse 5. For when we were in the realm of the flesh... The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. Our old marriage to the law provoked us to continuous sin. But not anymore, Paul says. So here is the consequence of our new marriage. Verse 6. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I will run with applying these truths, but towards the end of the talk, but let's just dwell a little bit on the kind of the teaching and the truth of it. How did we get released from our first husband? the law. God had to kill us with Christ. We died with Christ to our first husband. He raised us with Jesus, and so that is the way 
he released us from the law, from our first husband. You see, by nature, we all are married to the law. He is our first husband. You don't have to be Jewish. God has written the requirements of the law on the hearts of all people, of all nations. We know what is good. We know what is bad. We know how God wants us to live. We know. The problem is, we are not able to. The law turned um, out to be a rubbish husband. The law could not save us. Quite the opposite. The law contributed to our ruin and brought the punishment of God on us. Because in our old marriage, we were bearing fruit for death. You know, and so getting out of our old dysfunctional marriage to the law should come to us as a very, very good news. We should say, yay, finally. It's kind of, you know, breaking off from the slavery. We die to our former husband just to be raised to remarry our new husband. Jesus, that is the only way we can bear fruit for God. It is good to be released from the law. But again, friends, that really creates um, a true problem, right? Because the whole language of the law being a rubbish husband, you know, that arouses sinful passions in us makes the law to be a really bad thing. It kind of, it's sort of obvious. It's on the table. It's, a, it's in a plane. Well, is the law a very bad thing? That's the question. I love how Paul reads the minds of his readers. And here it is in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Do you remember the Jewish reader who is scandalized by grace, right? Hey, Paul, it appears that grace not only promotes and permits sin, but it turns something good into something very bad. It passes the law into sin. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Now, we don't need to guess the answer to that question, right? We don't need, well, Paul, well, Paul what, will, what will you say? No, the third time Paul emphatically answers, verse 7, certainly not. No. Exactly the opposite. Look at verse 12 with me. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Now, how can both be true? The law is good, but it is good to be released from the law. How can both be true? Well, who said marriage is simple? None of, none of us who's married would say that. It's not simple. It's never simple. Now, picture this. Picture this. You are visiting a marriage counselor. Things can have come down to it. You're visiting the marriage counselor together with your spouse. The law. Your marriage is obviously dysfunctional in your many passions aroused by your spouse, the law. You bear fruit for death. 
And what, what normally happens as the two sit down and they get asked the question, what's the problem? Now, what normally happens when the counselor asks, you know, what's the problem? What is the next thing that happens? Anyone? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know what's happening. You just, you're just a bit shy. Exactly. Imagine, imagine now God is, is your marriage counselor. Here you sit on one chair and the law sits on the other chair. And God asks you, what is the problem with your marriage, guys? Why is it so bad? And you point your finger at the law. Of course you do. Of course we put, you know, we point the finger to the law. And you not only do that, but you quote Paul to God in verse 10. You say, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life and happiness to me brought death. God, it's the law's fault. Now, how would, how would God respond? What do you think? How would God respond? I think, for starters, God would say, stop misquoting Paul. Stop misquoting Paul. The law is not the guilty party here. Why? Because, my friend, you've, you've had the mistress all the way through. You had the lover. The lover is sin. That uses the law as the base for its evil operations. The law simply exposed sin for what it is. Now, do you see how marriage to the law is a very, very complicated thing? Especially when it's a kind of triangle. You know, me, sin, and the law. So let me unpack in two steps for us what I think Paul is saying in verses 7 to 12 about what actually makes our old marriage dysfunctional. And hint, it is not the law's fault. The law itself is good because, here is step one, the law exposes sin. Look at the second half of verse 7. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. Now, Paul already in chapter 5, verse 13, made it clear that sin was in the world before the written law was given. Do you remember? And in chapter 1, verse 20, that men and women without the written law are still without excuse. Sin is still going to produce death, even apart from the law. Now, what the law does is it shines the light on sin, so that it is clearly visible. That's what the law does. So let, let, let me give you a, a few examples. I think a very simple example. Students, our lovely students, the season of exams is coming. Yay! You all know that cheating in your exams is bad, right? You know that, don't you? Well, let's say there is no authority in the room to check on how you complete your tests no one is checking on you. And how do you know? And, and, and so you cheat, right? For instance. But how do you know cheating is bad? How do you know that? There's no authority in the room. How do you know it's bad? Well, your conscience give it away, right? Your conscience 
gives away cheating as dishonest conduct. But it is only clearly visible and checked when the authority is in the room and you are caught cheating in your exam. What's more, now you, your conduct is not only checked and visible, but punishable. You know, by excommunicato, or whatever they say in, in, in academia. Pardon my high school Latin. Same principle, workers, right? Those who are working. The season of feeling the tax returns is coming, I don't know, at least in Latvia. Uh, same principle, cheating on the taxes is dishonest conduct. But it becomes clearly visible as dishonest and punishable when the law shines light on it, when it checks it, when it names it, when it says, here is the punishment for breaking it. So in our old dysfunctional marriage, the law is not the guilty party. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Verse 12. It is given by God himself, and it was given to uphold the morality in Israel. So again, why then it is good to be released from the law if it is holy, righteous, and good? Well, because our old marriage had a third party in it, our lover, sin. The law was also given to expose sin and punish it. And the relationships between the law and sin was something that brought death to us. Hence, step two, sin exploits the law. Here it is bracketed in verses 8 and 11. Glance at verse 8 and then 11. Paul says the same thing twice. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. And verse 11, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. To summarize Paul's point, sin uses the good law to provoke me to sin, and through the commandment, puts me to death. I mean, that is something that I can observe in my children's life. That is something that I do observe in my own life. That is something that I see in the lives of people around me. I find it then when I specifically tell my children to stay quiet in their room because dad is working or having a meeting, they suddenly, suddenly they come up with all sorts of creative ways to create such a terrible noise. Not before, but after I said, Children, would you please stay in your room and be quiet for a, for a while? It is, you know, it's a verse 9 case. When the dad's commandment came, sin sprang to life, sprang to life. And this rebellious thing, you know, started. I find it in my own life. I was once taking the trolley to the center. I don't know, you, you, you check it out next time, right? On your way back from church. As I was holding to that metal pole, 
um, in the in the tram, I noticed the, the picture. The drawing on the window displayed a clear prohibition to damage uh, the construction by forcefully bending the metal pole. It was clearly drawn. Can't misunderstand that. And do you know what happened next? My grip around the metal pole got stronger. As I suddenly sensed a desire to bend it, to just check it. Verse 9 again. The commandment came, and sin sprang to life as this rebellious thing. Fill in the blanks in your own life. Now, Paul uses, Paul actually uses, and he goes back to the first and kind of one of the major sins. He uses the old known sin, coveting, to illustrate the sin in all people's life. You know, coveting ruined Adam and Eve. Do you remember in in the Garden of Eden, um, Genesis 3, verse 6, as Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and gave also uh, to her husband. Coveting was one of the Ten Commandments given to Israel, Exodus 20, verse 17, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, um, his ox or donkey or, or everything, anything that belongs to your neighbor. So again, the commandment is holy, good and righteous, designed to draw clear boundaries in society. But then sin came around and said, Oh, what a great commandment. What could we do about it? What could we do about it? You know, as you come and visit your friend's house, the commandment tells you not to want this house for yourself. But, you know, the, the, the sin says, oh, what could we do about this commandment? The sin does, through this commandment, something else. It makes you seek various ways to end up on your friend's will and then get rid of him so that the house is yours. There are plenty of stories around that. You just read BBC or whatever you read. You'll find these bizarre stories of just that. Or you're not supposed to want another man's wife for yourself. But what sin does through the commandment, it makes you seek intimacy with another's wife or husband or have him or her uh, for yourself. And so it goes with, with, any, with anything. Do you see why the law is good? But it is good to be released from it. Because of sin, our old marriage to the law was dysfunctional. We only bore fruit for death because the good law exposed the evil sin that kidnapped the law and ruined us. Now, guys, what's, what is the way? Is there a way out of it? What's the way out of this dysfunctional marriage? Well, there's only one exit. Hear me right. There's only one exit. And it's death. I know it sounds morbid, but it's true. There's only one exit, death. 
he may write because otherwise I will sound really kind of suicidal to you, and we don't want that in the beginning of 2024. To borrow our marriage counseling room illustration, the only way out of this room is death. If you remain in the old marriage to the law because of sin, God will pronounce the death sentence at the end of your life. So first option, death at the end of your life. A complete death. Or God can pronounce your death sentence to sin and the law right in that room. This is what happened to you when you became a Christian. Exactly this. Paul says, you died with Christ to sin and to your old husband, the law. Only, only one way out of it, it's death. Either at the end of our life, spiritual death forever, or death, as God pronounces as dead with Christ to sin and to the law. Only one way out of it. What is truly wonderful, guys, we didn't remain dead. Through, through faith, God raised us with Jesus. So you can marry him and through him live a fruitful life for God. Does that not sound a desirable alternative in 2024? The law is good, but it is good to be released from the law. So what now? It is not the law, but grace now. After all, Paul you know, said earlier in, in 6.14, Sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. But does that mean I do away with the law? And kind of, I'm bringing us back to that tension, to the big question. Does that mean we kind of say, right, ha, huh, it's grace. I mean, the law doesn't matter anymore. Just get rid of the law. Get rid of all the commandments, of all the kind of rules. But here is an unexpected twist in the story. I love, you know, I love films. You always love kind of films where you have that twist at the end of the film. It kind of helps everything come together, right? Because, ah, oh, now I see how kind of the different bits work. So here is the twist in our passage, and it comes in verse 6. We would expect, guys, Paul to say, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of grace. Right? But that's not what Paul says in verse 6. He doesn't give law and grace here. What does he say? How do we serve God in the way of the Spirit? You see, once we were serving God very unsuccessfully, with the law standing outside as a dead letter, speaking to us from the Mount Sinai, and condemning us for our inability to serve God. That's what was um, our reality once. That was our relationships with the written code that proved to our, in our lives as a dead letter. Okay, 
But now, now everything has changed. The Spirit has written God's law in our hearts. Now when we hear God's commandments, they are not a burdensome duty, but they are a delightful privilege. When I was in the realm of the the flesh, I heard God say, you shall not covet. And I knew I must not covet. But now, I don't want to covet. Because of the indwelling spirit, I delight in my new marriage to Jesus so much more. It has a profound implications for us, for a Christian life and service. It changes the way we view serving God and serving others. Being happily married, we no longer do things because we have to, primarily, but because we get to. We get a privilege to do that. On Sunday, I don't have to go to church. No, friends, when the Spirit has written God's law in our hearts, we get to go to church to be with our brothers and sisters on Sunday. Midweek, I don't have to attend the Bible study you know, because the, the written code says that. No, I get to be in the fellowship with the brothers and sisters around his word. I don't have to fellowship and support other believers now. Now I get to a privilege to do it. I get a privilege to spend time, talk, encourage, pray, give, and so on. Now, I know that what you're thinking now, right, it all sounds great, but what about my actual life? I know, no chance, I'm not going to address it because Paul goes there next, okay? Chapter 7 is a big complicated chapter. He will go there next and we'll see the kind of spiritual schizophrenia going on there next week, so please do come back. I know that there is, but what about my actual life? But we need to hear what Paul says here, guys. The law is good. The law is good, holy, righteous, but it is good to be released from the law as the written code, to delight in it by the indwelling spirit and so bear fruit for God. We need to get this truth under our belt so that we deal properly, we deal adequately with the kind of schizophrenia of the next week, okay? And it's going to be some, some thinking next week. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your commandment. As we read in Psalm, it is true, it's delightful, it is refreshing, it is reviving, it is holy, good. But Father, our relationships with your law were so, so complicated because of our lover, sin, uh, the good law exposing uh, and sin brought death to our lives. 
sin took advantage of the good law, and in order to give life for us, it, it brought death to us. So we thank you, Father, this day, that you have you have um, lifted us, or you have brought us out of our old marriage with the law. Thank you for. Thank you really for making us dead with Christ to sin and to the law. And thank you for raising us to life with Jesus so that we could be married to him. And we thank you for the spirit that now indwells us and makes us again to delight in your law, to crave it, to appreciate it, to feed on it so that we may actually, by your Spirit, do it. So, Father, we ask for your help, really, to keep delighting in your law, in our inner being, to want to be with brothers and sisters, to want to serve you, to want to serve each other. Please, please work by your Spirit in our lives in this year, as we draw closer to you, and as we draw closer to one another. In Jesus' name, Amen.